to I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where I put down my bloody knitting needles and Kelly steps away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. In this episode, we are exploring and celebrating Pride with a discussion around drag, horror, and drag queen horror. With the popularity of the transgressive drag queen competition show Dragula and the recent release of indie film Death Drop Gorgeous, we will show you how horror and drag are a delightful match made in hell. So pick your poison and listen on, if you dare. Meet our monsters. So first off, we're going to give you folks a brief kind of mini history lesson. And Jess loves history and history lessons. <laughs> Welcome to Jessica's history class yeah. on the history of drag. Yeah. Jess- Jessica's <laughs> history class. I love that. Spinsters <laughs> do history because we need context, right? So drag, where does it come from? Where did it begin? Well, folks, it started a long time ago. Jess, why don't you kind of kick this off a little bit from centuries ago? <laughs> so centuries ago, so technically drag kind of started out back in ancient Greece when men would play female roles in theater productions. And it continued on into Shakespearean times where off men played female roles. And then in Japan, it was continued on in kabuki theater that often had male performers dressing as women. So since the 19th, so before that, and since the 19th century, the term drag meant those who play and redefine the concept of gender. It started out as theater slang, and it's been around since 1388, as established in the Oxford Dictionary. And in the 1800s, this word was used in kind of a different way, but there's, and there's different definitions if you look up the definition of drag, but I found this really interesting because I didn't know this, that a definition of drag in the 1800s would be where male performers wore petticoats to perform as women, of course. Their petticoats would drag on the floor, and so they referred to dressing up as women as, quote, putting on their drags. And carrying on, they continued to wear exaggerated makeup and clothing to play those female roles because it was illegal for women to be performers. And that changed in 1660 when it did become illegal for women to be in plays and theater and be performers. So in the 1920s, the term drag was used as a term to for gay people, and it was seen as secret language to be used among the queer community because it was born out of the criminalization of homosexuality. And then we'll eventually see these creation of drag balls. This was due to the danger and the segregation that was happening at bars. And these were often house parties that often allowed black queers, this is very important, to be able to perform in drag and to gather together as a community. 1927, it started to be linked to the LGBTQ plus community as A.J. Rosanoff's 1927 manual security defined drag as an outfit of female dress worn by a homosexual and also a social gathering of homosexuals in which some are playing in female dress. At this point, also, we started seeing women performing as men and wearing, quote, masculine or men's clothing. So, hey, was that the beginning of Drag Kings? Because I love that. Because, frankly, side note, Drag Kings wasn't really something I knew anything about. I don't think I even knew that it was a thing. Like, I I knew that, like, it could be possible, but I didn't think it was, like, an actual thing. So when somebody said Drag King, I didn't really knew. I didn't really know what it meant. So I was so fascinated and happy to learn about this whole culture of Drag Kings because that's fascinating to me and beautiful. It's really interesting because like they say that the term drag king didn't really become popular until like the 1990s, but actually it was in the 19 early 1920s that the first drag king to emerge was out of the Harlem Renaissance performer Gladys Bentley, who often wore top hat and tails. So women were also performing drag as early on and that's when it becomes uh it became more popular and then later on we have in 1932 drag starts to become more public due to an article written by the Afro-American newspaper titled Queer Sex Busy Planning Drags, which was often seen in attendance of 300 people at times. Like, these were big drag balls, like, 
It was like a division among queer white men who were either masculine and blended or fairy feminine, and they all dressed up in drag, and they went to these bars, and they would all dance with each other, they would have this great time, but it was still illegal because if they were seen wearing the other gender's clothing, they could also be arrested. Considered cross-dressing, in quotations, and yes, illegal. Yeah. And bringing us up into like the 50s, 60s type deal, so drag was very like underground, you know, it kind of has ebbed and flowed throughout history and its popularity or its um, appearance in pop culture kind of goes like underground a little bit and it becomes popular. And it, yeah, it kind of has been eb- it ebbs and flows throughout the decades. And in the 1950s, drag queens began performing in bars and spaces that are specifically catering to gay people like the Black Cat in San Francisco. But these shows used to be in these small clubs, kind of like seedy, gritty, kind of underground. And drag was nearly shunned. It was not a very popular thing then. It was very underground. Something called masquerade laws saw people who, if you were seen, quote, cross-dressing in public, again, it used to be illegal. So it was a massive political time. Gay bars had to operate underground and they were constantly raided by the police leading up to 1969, a massive, massive moment in queer history, the Stonewall Riots, where patrons at the Stonewall Inn at the New York, in New York City fought back against police and cops who had raided their establishment. The Stonewall Riots were really important because they were led by drag queens, they were led by um, transgendered individuals, and they were also led by people within the queer community, which ended up leading us to the 1971st Pride Parade ever held. However, things were still problematic within the community. While the queer community was fighting for the rights and celebrating the right to love who and whomever they want, dry queens and transgender bindles were still being marginalized within these communities. However, we started to see drag rising in popular media with things like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, musicians like David Bowie, like people constantly challenging gender norms. Also in 1970s, the rise of masculinity in gay culture diminished the popularity of drag, right? But it started to find its way into pop culture again. We saying, you know, as we were saying, it ebbs and flows and it comes and it goes or it's never gone. Sorry. It's it just ebbs and flows at its popularity. But 1972 film Pink Flamingos by like infamous queer creator, filmmaker, writer, icon John Waters put Divine, who is a drag was, sorry, RIP, a drag queen, made her essentially like a household name, gave her starring roles instead of being just supporting roles, but very much scandalized audiences. She was this filthy character, but she became an icon. And that was in the 70s. So drag had started to make its way back into popular culture. And with the rise of disco at the same time, too, it was 100% embraced by the queer and drag scene community. Because and as we all know, why watching RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> like disco is very important to the drag community because it allowed the drag community just to continue to express themselves because everyone was doing it in disco. Go from the 70s where everyone was really still challenging gender norms and binaries and stuff like that. We kind of moved into the 80s where drag made it, where drag started to change and people started to want to look as female as possible. So a lot of drag balls became more popular and there were more categories to these drag balls and what comes out of um, this is we'll eventually see in the documentary Paris is Burning talking about the rise of drag balls and moving from halls to the streets and then we get Wigstock which is a huge uh, drag event that was kicked off in 1984 but this is when we start to see uh, drag become more visible to the world. It's no longer as underground as it was in the 70s, 60s and, for, and further back. It starts to become more popularized. And hey, we cannot ever forget hair metal of the 80s. Those men played with makeup a lot in clothing and hair. And I know that's not part of drag history, but hello. There was a lot of playing with gender in the 80s, and that was very acceptable, generally speaking. Yep. But of course, yep. if you were actually gay and that's not acceptable, but, you know, Poison and Quiet Riot and all those crew. folks, you know, they could do it and that was fine. It was a great, it was such <laughs> a, like an excessive random time. We get into the 90s and this was really where things maintained popularity. And we all know who RuPaul is. 
Uh, definitely a queer icon, a drag icon. In, in 1993, RuPaul went from New York's gritty East Village scene to the stage of the March on Washington to perform their hit song, Supermodel, and pretty much went from a relatively unknown drag queen to a drag queen superstar. And throughout the 90s, you know, visibility grew, popular culture grew, 90s made way for more distinctions between drag and other identities. It started there. Distinguished between drag queens and the transgender community started to emerge and the public just started to become more aware of what the difference was. You know, cross-dressing is like the quote and quotations, that term, that label is like becoming something of the past. What's the difference between being gay, doing drag, being trans? So that conversation started happening at that point and that was very, very important as we all know. And we move into the 2000s and there's more to drag than ever before. We're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing and appreciating, generally speaking, the art form for what drag is and just seeing so many more people doing it. And the one thing that really brought drag queens and the art of drag into kind of superstardom and into massive popular culture was in 2009 RuPaul's Drag Race premieres on Logo TV and the series and its many many spin-offs introduced drag to not only just a whole new generation but like the whole world and all of a sudden drag culture becomes mainstream and we start in 2015 we get DragCon which is the largest convention for queens and queers to go and celebrate things all art culture and drag but what's great about uh, RuPaul's Drag Race is that drag started to transform and it was no longer being about realness but being more of an expressive art form not only for gay men but for trans folks queer women and so much more and I mean I love drag race I love drag queens drag queens give me life they are inspiring they're entertaining goddamn they're beautiful and talented Right? I, they're, they, have, they have charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Right? And I <laughs> yeah. love them. I love them so much. Yeah. And comfort. I agree. I'm with you too. <laughs> yeah. Same with me. I, I turn, I never thought I would be into drag queens until I did get into like watching RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh my God, I love yeah. all of them. And I've always been fascinated by drag queens. But I, like I said, it is my comfort show. I turn to it for inspiration when I needed it. But yeah. It was wonderful. It's a wonderful, gorgeous, beautiful world of drag queens. (laughs) Yes. But it was also very mainstream. And Kelly and I, we like the mainstream, but we also don't like the mainstream. Yes, because there's (laughs) there's limitations to being mainstream. I mean, Drag Race did do a lot for drag culture, queer culture, reinvigorated gay bars and queer spaces, people coming together and there's like drag brunches now and people getting together to watch drag race at bars with drag queens. Like it became a Mm -hmm. whole thing and and the reach, talk about the reach, the reach and the exposure was international and incredible because drag races all over the world. People are able to watch this show. Drag queens are becoming role models, models, spokespeople. Like they're, it's amazing. It really is incredible in a lot of ways and it had dramatically changed things. However, there is a downside and a dark side to becoming mainstream, to to drag race, unfortunately. There's these ideas that drag queens think that you can only, quote, make it and become, you know, famous or get your fans or like do something with your art if you're you can only do it if you're on drag race. But the biggest thing that I think we have a we have a problem with and after you start watching the show after seasons and seasons and seasons you realize the lack of inclusion for it. There's a severe lack of trans people and other folks on the gender spectrum. No drag kings. That is a thing. And they're just very strict with the gender binary. And, you know, if you are coming to Drag Race hoping for this, like, massive exploration into queer culture and drag and gender identity identification and like exploration there's just limitations to it and it's really unfortunate Mm -hmm. and I you know when you watch later seasons of some of the all-stars because all-stars some of those have transitioned and they are at least welcomed on but it's still very few and far in between that was always one of the things that I had picked up and as much as I love RuPaul's Drag Race there was that lacking 
Also, I recognize that every time I watch RuPaul's Drag Race, I always went for the spooky queens. Absolutely. The queens that were <laughs> weird, different with their art. They're weird. They're expressive. You know, they're not all like, I don't want to say like not all drag queens are the same looking. That's not my that's not my place to judge that. But there was like a cookie cutter image that was coming out. And it was always like, and I love glamour, but it was not the type of stuff that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And so when you get like a queen like Sharon Needles who comes on the stage and I'm just like, yes, uh, you know, a dark queen, a spooky queen, a weird queen, yeah. you know, those kooky queens like Jinx Monsoon. Like, yeah, I love those yeah. those queens. Yeah. Um, and so that was so amazing when in 2017, Dragula came onto the scene. Dragula. Oh, yes. Great. Film, <laughs> horror, glamour, everything that I want to see. Yes. <laughs> Dragula will headline the upcoming Dragula World Tour. Receive a $100,000 grand prize courtesy of us and the title of Dragula, the world's next drag super monster. So what's your story in history surrounding Dragula, Jess? What uh, what got you into it? How did you first find out about Dragula? I actually think I first found out about it through you because I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race and I had heard about like this other alternative drag show called Dragula, but like I didn't know how to access it. It wasn't easy to get it, stuff like that. And so you had mentioned that it was on Shudder. And I was like, ooh, this looks really interesting. It was uh, season four they had just gone in. So then I watched it. I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. I like, I love this series. I think I watched it in a couple of days. And so, and then when you had said like, let's do a podcast episode on it, I'm like, yes, I am down for this. And I've been so happy that we have gotten seasons two and three and 3.5. Yes, yeah. So I had vaguely known about it for years, amped up a little bit when I started watching Drag Race, which was only like a couple of years ago. Again, in Canada, some things are, we have some limitations to accessibility to certain things. So I vaguely knew, known about it for a few years. It wasn't super accessible until, like you said, Shudder brought it onto their streaming service. But first I saw, I watched their special Resurrection, which I loved. And that gave me like a little taste of what Dragula was. And I was hooked. And then they brought on season four and then they have brought on two and three. And like, I love drag. I love drag queens. And like I said, been a fan of Drag Race, but to see something that fits more with my interests and style and aesthetic, which is horror. Yeah. And seeing those horror references and all of the fun different challenges, I was so excited to check it out. And I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with Dragula and I want more. And I've been making sure that my personal page Season five. <laughs> and oh my god and Spencer's of Horror like started following all of these excellent spooky queens because we want to support them we want to support you we're spooky bitches we want to support other spooky bitches exactly and that's one of the things that I like so much about Dracula is that everyone who comes on the show are all from the different gender spectrum or you know relationship spectrum like everything and they're all interesting individuals who and like I understand like the contestants all on RuPaul's Drag Race have also had hard lives, but there's things about some of the queens that would come on to Dragula that felt very real to me and very, when they talk about being outsiders, because they are. And that was something that I learned through watching Dracula. And that's one of the things I really like about it is that I thought that drag queen culture was always inclusive, regardless of how you do your drag, it's inclusive. However, I realized that that's not necessarily the case and that a lot of the weirdos and the spooky queens and stuff like that often get, you know, sidelined or they're, you know, not uh, understood or misinterpreted and stuff like that. And I related to that. I was like, oh, that's why I like this show so much is I relate to feeling othered and as an outcast and the music 
the aesthetic mm-hmm. of it. I love uh, the Boulet brothers, what they do. I love the opening scenes with like little horror movies, and they have like this overarching theme like the whole throughout the entire season. So it gives us that suspense that we look for in our horror movies because you want to see how, like you see how the who's gonna survive yet starts, <laughs> and then who's gonna survive, and how are they gonna yes. die? What is the creative way? Oh my god! So that's one of the things I really like about Dragula. Yes, horror, filth, and glamour. The artistry, the creativity in this show. Like, again, I love glamour. I am not a glamazon. Far from it. But I love to see it with, with other people. But like you said, there's it's it's so much, almost always like this high femme, high glamour. And again, they are stunningly beautiful and frankly look better than me often. I'm like, how? How does he, what's even happening here? I want them to do my makeup. Um, yeah. But it's just incredible. But you really see a sense. I think they also maybe have a bit more time to put their looks together. But there's like this freedom of expression. It's not mm, limited. Yeah. Like you could do whatever. And like the Boulet brothers say on their show, every episode that they started saying a bit later on is we're not here to judge your drag. We're here to judge your interpretation of these challenges. Like, okay, we said to be a vampire or whatever. And what is your interpretation of that and how all of that fits together? And I love that. Drag is art and art is subjective. Absolutely. And the exterminations, I mean, it's just fun. Like every episode is just like a whole immersive experience. Like there's just, I just feel like they really put them through the ringer to really be like, do you actually want to be here? Like, what do you want to do? You're here to prove something and a note Jasmine you said that you really relate to them with their outsider status because they don't shy away from some darkness and we do get into it a bit in in Drag Race absolutely and Untucked watch some of that but you know they don't they're not afraid to bring on addicts that are literally struggling currently like they just don't they're not afraid to bring on really extra passionate artists like Hollow Eve. Yeah. So I just love that. It's subversive. It's inclusive. And holy moly, the gender fuckery that happens on that show is like a, a, another sexual awakening in, in my mind. Like, I want to see a hairy chest and a fully painted face. Hot. People in Nine Inch Hills and their dick out. Like, I want to see everyone expressing themselves in any way that they want because it is hot and everyone is hot. It's just super playful and it's really fun. And I love it because it's so perform like it's performance. Yeah. It is someone taking something and interpreting and performing something. And that's something that can speak to a lot of early underground drag when we yeah. get into that further on because that's what some other uh, like a set of subsection of drag queen um, the drag queen scene was was performance yeah. and gender fuckery and just crazy interpretations of things and then eventually it, it transitioned and then it kind of split off and people get went more the pageantry route mm. which is what we see more in RuPaul's Drag yeah. Race it's more pageantry yes we get the comedic elements we get to see the acting we get to see the more of the performance but like Dragula I really notice really focuses on the performance element I'm like yes your look looks stunning it looks great you can walk down on those heels but can you tell us a story mm-hmm. can you lose the audience in the story that you're telling that's what i love and that every time they do it they're like like bring it to the floor show bring yeah. it you know yeah. absolutely is there anything you dislike about dragula only thing i dislike about dragula and this is just me in general i dislike this regardless but drama i get sometimes <laughs> i get like the drama just gets too much for me and i get it because you see the people change and over time and like a competition like that where you're essentially put up to like fear factor type exterminations at the end it's gonna bring up a lot of feelings and emotions and you're gonna scream and yell but uh, i'm just the type of person that i don't even like watching television shows that have too much drama i'm just bad get to the floor shows show me the art but at the same time too it also shows how human everyone is and all their struggles and i can get past that because there actually is a couple queens that in some of the drama they were involved in, I was like, oh, okay, I understand you and I, I relate to that. So yeah. it's not really a like huge dislike. Yeah, it's just fair, you know. fair. I love drag queen drama. I don't like love, <laughs> I like teen drama and drag drama. Oh yeah. <laughs> How about Dislikes, you? you dislike? I don't know, I wish I was able to see this sooner. It was more accessible sooner. Please come to Canada because yeah. I want to see a fucking show, yes. please. God. Yes. Um, And the bug eating, that's, pr- that's pretty gross and they oh. eat live insects, which as a Again, I'm not too keen on. Um, but well, they like meat the oh the raw meat like that's just, like whole or... other thing like drinking cups yeah. of blood. Okay, 
Okay, okay, yeah. So some of the extermination stuffs have made me be like, oh god, no, no. Uh, especially earlier in the early seasons when someone's like literally eating their own vomit again. I was like, mm, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like fear factor stuff, so. Oh yeah, fear factor, god, bringing us back. When we were coming up and coming out and like going out in nightlife, the type of drag that we were exposed to was very punk rock. It was very underground, it was very political, it was message driven, or it was trashy and kind of nasty and really in your face and shocking. And as the years go on, we noticed that that type of drag was very under-celebrated, so we couldn't have that. And we uh, we started an event, and everywhere we brought the party, Dragula, we recognized that there were covens of freaks and weirdos from coast to coast, and they loved what we were doing. So out of that, uh, the idea of the show was born. So, I mean, we talked a bunch about Dragula, what we love and how different it is, but Dragula was founded by the Boulay brothers, Dracmorda and Swanthula, in 2013 as a, quote, horror punk rock drag party. They always wanted to be a competition show for all the freaks, weirdos, and outcasts, but they weren't really sure how to pitch that to a network because it's weird right? Their, their whole premise is drag, filth, horror, and glamour. Their icons are characters like Vampira over Diana Ross, Divine instead of Cher, Pete Burns instead of Madonna. It's like this cornucopia of, quote, alternative drag. It brings all the freaks and the weirdos, right? It just brings in a different type of person. So, I mean, their initial idea wanted it to be a competition show. Thankfully, they got it. 2016 is when that really started to showcase the art of drag and the creativity of this art form. It was, Kelly was saying it was actually based off of their original evening shows at the, that had they had performed at their club and they did it for like 15 years and it was often performing and highlighting the weird, the unusual, the unheard of side of the drag which is inclusive. Drag queens, APAB queens, non-binary drag performers. It was on their bar stage a drag reality show that later was able to go on to YouTube their very first season is on YouTube and then eventually get bought and now the Boulay brothers have their own production and they were able to uh, produce uh, further seasons of it. And more and more money is coming in. Like you see, like even between like season two and three, like the their budget is much higher. It's incredible. Again, each episode is an hour long and it's like a whole it's a whole production. There's music and you know slow motion and and performance art. There's a lot going on. But again, the inclusivity, the weird, the morbid, the disgusting, the unlikable, they're here to showcase what some people would see as ugly or monstrous or, yeah, those drag queens that would be shunned and pushed aside because they're not fitting into this, like, high female performance art. There's these outcast drag artists. So again, coming back to the drag, horror, filth, and glamour, they're unapologetically adult. It's unsafe. It's wild. It's chaos. It's not just men in corsets were walking down the runways. Like you said, like I didn't even know what AFAB meant, which is assigned female at birth. So our drag, drag kings, again, that I didn't know, they have non-binary drag performers. Dolly, who goes off to win season four, is just this wonderful mix of everyone and everything that is just very inspiring to watch. You know, like, do you feel that? Like, I feel inspired and excited when I watch it. I have started embracing more of my gothy self and more of my horror metal vibes because of Dragula, because this is a type of drag that celebrates an alternative lifestyle, but also alternative side of life and radical groups, such as in the 70s, the Coquettes, who are a radical drag group and did weird performance art. And then, you know, in the 90s, rock and roll drag in the New York East Village. And like Kelly said, it was keeping drag queer adult and alive so wouldn't it be erased from the mainstream because drag is not always pretty style and sometimes it also has to be really gritty we get queens on there who are like i was a trailer queen i didn't know who that was until they started t- explaining what that was you know and i know on RuPaul's drag race we talked about like you know garbage bag queens you know the ones who would go to like value village and this is celebrated in dragula it's not um pushed away it's not like looked at and looked down upon it's like nope then if you are if you're able to perform and tell us a story it's all 
all about your personality and who you are and staying true to yourself. It's a art form that focuses on special effects and transformation. We love our spooky queens. We love our othered queens and we want to celebrate them. And that's essentially what Dragula does. And it's amazing. Uh, a quote that I gra- grabbed out of one of the interviews that we read about the Boulay brothers. So Swan Thula said this, we pride ourselves on celebrating the strange and the wild and the sometimes dangerous side of queer culture. To us, drag is a form of radical self-expression. It's an art. And the last thing an artist needs is to be told what to do. So we're going to do what we want. And they let their queens do whatever they want. So it's almost like looking at drag as it's become very mainstream. Is it becoming too clean? Maybe, maybe not. But there's some, there's other aspects of it. And another quote from the interview that they said, we know what it's really like for these drag performers. Some of them are sex workers. Some of them have drug addiction problems. If we're going to be accepted, we want them to accept us for who we really are, not by wearing a mask. So accepting them as queer people, as drag queens. And hey, man, queer culture, queer, queer history, drag history is not clean. It's filled with blood, sweat and tears and the deaths of many, many people and activism and expression. So I just feel like Dragula is a part of the the future of drag. Yeah. And it's also addressing uh, a concern that I've thought about. And I know that I've heard other drag queens and queers talk about, but the concern that when mainstream drag becomes very popular, it's inevitably, and we're already seeing it, going to become whitewashed, and it's going to become for straight audiences to learn about queer culture, but also dumb it down and make it simplified. And we're like, no, and this is why there's so much activism out there being like, no, drag is not simple. It is a complicated history. This is not like, yes, we want straight um, audiences to be allies, but this is not for you. And if you're going to accept these drag queens, accept them for who they are. And like Kelly said, Some of them are addicts. Some of them are sex workers. And that should not be hidden away for mass media to consume. It should be expressed and it should be exposed and it should be seen as something true. And what does that all the time? Horror. Horror always expresses the truth. It always exposes us to what we're not comfortable with. And this is what Dragula brings into their series. One of their tenets of Dragula is horror. And Darren Stein, who has been a judge on Dragula, he was quoted as saying that horror as a genre is essentially queer. There's an essential otherness to forbidden darkness monsters. I think when you add a diverse of queerness and glamour that's not subtextual, that is on the surface, that's a little threatening to people who don't get it. And that's what's exciting about it. And that's very well said. Absolutely. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like horror, queer people, we're always going to be coming together because we're always seen as different and monsters. And there's tons of queer subtext in horror movies. We've known this. We've talked about this. And a lot of queer directors had to subvert the haze code by portraying, um, by sneaking in queer content, but Dragula doesn't. It, it, it's in your face, and that's one of the things I love so much about Dragula. So, Kelly, um, when you're watching the seasons, is there any, like, a season that you felt really drawn to, or a certain uh, queen, or king, or anyone who that really motivated you and inspired you during your watch? I didn't really know drag kings were a thing until I watched Dragula, and, you know, spoiler alert, Land Insider wins season three of, of Dragula, and kills it every time. And it's just absolutely stunning to watch this queer woman portraying this very, in my mind, very good looking, very masculine king figure, this drag king figure, and just absolutely stunning looks. Just like, I just loved how like deeply masculine it was because I was into that, very into that. So Land Insider mm-hmm. just was kind of revolutionary for me because that just, it was educational because I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't know. So that Land Insider for sure stands out to me. Um, did you know much about Drag Kings? Like was that, how do you feel about Land Insider. Oh, I, I loved Land Insider, and I was super happy to see a drag king on the set third season of Dragula because I have, seen, I have seen drag kings. I saw them perform in a little club here in Ottawa, right. and they were so great, and it was wonderful. And that was my first introduction right. to seeing uh, them perform. Cool. So seeing them on Dragula and all these different alternative individuals, like I remember when uh, Disasterina came on, yeah. and they're straight, but have a very queer personality and loves just being a drag. And I was just like, that's amazing. Yeah. I love love that like yeah 
it's like all these people can be funny and they can be scary monsters, but they can also be the sweetest, kindest people ever. And for me, the one queen I really resonated with was Louisiana. They were a wonderful individual to watch their journey throughout the season. It was more importantly, especially in the one episode where they talked about not starting to live their life and their truth that sent itself into their 36. Mm. And that's what I've been going through mm. right now. Like, I really like that personal journey of being like, oh, my God, like they're like drag changed my life. And this is why I support it. And I'm like, yes, I understand what it's like to not live your authentic self in your life until very later on. And so seeing that mm-hmm. just felt so badass and so monstrous. And that's something I loved. But like, I love all the queens and kings and mm-hmm. they're all just amazing and inspiring in their own ways, even when they, you know, fight over the silliest things. <laughs> Yeah, I would say I wanted to bring up, you know, we had transgender uh, queens on there. Bitter Betty, I loved. Also, man, she's a robo babe. I just loved her art a lot. And I just think she's so funny and fun. And following her on Instagram has been a riot because her partner is also trans. And that's been just really great uh, to see. Again, normalizing Mm. all of this stuff that is just in our day to day society. So I love Bitter Betty. I know she kind of left season four pretty early, unfortunately. Um, season four Sigourney Beaver again an AFAB yeah. queen which you don't see and I again I didn't really realize was a thing so I loved I'm also kind of in love with her also a robo babe <laughs> and I just love her drag and I just think she's so fascinating so yeah I would point out you know know those ones like Land Insider Sigourney Beaver Bitter Betty Dolly uh, who's a non-binary who wins season four who is just fucking beautiful Dolly was in season two yeah. and then was on three on in resurrection yeah. and just like and then they come back and win se- and transformation oh total transformation and just to come back and win season four and just kill it every time in that season is like yeah. another inspiration of finding yourself you know even through the hardest times in your life and then being like you know sometimes yeah. you do deserve good and i just you yeah. know and you're the sweetest kindest person Absolutely. And that's what I love so much about that. Yeah. And the yeah. the queen the kings and queens of Dragula, the whole season, and then the guests who come on, and then just like Draco and Swanthula are just so great and creative. And I love that they incompl- they incorporate what they love into their into their show. Yeah. Like they're huge horror fans. They are like, you know, they love retro style, like ugh. Yeah. I would love to get all done up like one of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, or just similar to Totally. <laughs> anyway, should we move on to our filmed that we want to discuss today? Are you ready to have a blast? You, me, we're going out on the town. Where are you going tonight? The Outhouse's Halloween party is their biggest of the season. Oh, you didn't hear? Just a heads up, but there is a guy that's going to meet us there at the bar. What have you got? You little slut. Help! (laughs) Get a new job. Rent's coming up. You want your job back. Tony, I'll take... Any shift you can give me. Tuesday! Tuesday with Gloria Hall! You're gonna be working at the same bar as Janet. Who are you? Mirror, mirror on the wall. Why even bother asking? She's so much prettier than me, it's not fair. Bitch. You can always find beauty in tragedy. I kill for your skin. Hi, yeah, O'Hara. The body count of gay men continues to rise in Providence. Four dead bodies? You think people ain't gonna talk? Whether you like it or not, it looks like we got a serial killer on our hands. People at your bar are dead, and that could have been me. We could be next. <gasps> Any more questions, detective? Watch, watch the teeth. Do me a favor. Mail that death drop. I've never done a split for an empty room. I always finish my number. Boo, it's the vampire. 
Yeah, so let's talk about a film that apparently last night we found out in our screen uh, actually has a connection with Dragula. Yes. Death Drop Gorgeous. (laughs) Yes, Death Drop Gorgeous. (laughs) So you and I watched this for the first time at the very first online film festival and event called Fright Gown uh, in 2021. And it was a blast. It's very much a crowd pleaser movie. Like I really feel like it's a lot of strengths come with watching this with a group of people. It was super fun. I adored it then. So that's our story. I think I can speak for both of us. We watched it for the first time last year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and I also adore this film. It is campy. It is micro budget. It is just and I think I've seen it like four times again because I've had to watch it a couple of times for our pre-show for setting up for our event. So and I just love it every more each time. Nice. So folks listening, uh, we did a charity screening of Death Drop Gorgeous to raise money for Rainbow Railroad and we had multiple creators, multiple actors, like more people show up than we even anticipated to do live commentary. We did this on Twitch and it was a freaking riot. And I feel like, like when I first watched it at Fright Gown, I adored it. And then when I watched it for the podcast, I liked it, but I didn't really like, I was very kind of lukewarm on it, but I liked it. But watching it with a group and learning so much about its creation and now becoming like best friends with the, with the crew, I am a massive fan of these people. They are good fucking humans and I love them. I am big big fans. I love the DIY indie magic and passion that went into making this movie. The practical effects, man, the dick in the meat grinder. That's what everyone talks about because it is fantastic. Every time. And it's vegan hot dogs they use for that scene. So in the screening, we learned so much about what happened behind the scenes. And I mean, that's just an incredible opportunity for us to have anyways. But learning that they're a group of vegans and vegetarians is amazing for us as vegans, Jess and I, and just learning about, uh, you know, they were drunk, a lot of hangovers making this movie, putting a lot of people in harm's way, almost like so many people almost died. It was just, it's just so amazing to hear what goes into creating these little passion projects, these micro budget horror movies. And I mean, I love queer horror I also extra love when there's so many elements of queer culture and aspects of the queer community in the movie itself. Sorry, I just love seeing that. It also makes me like appreciate and learn more about a culture and community, but also in a very entertaining, fun way because it's horror movie. So it's just a delightful movie to watch. And I'm just so glad that we're covering it and giving them more of a spotlight because I can't wait to see what they come up with next. So do you want to get into talking about how horror and drag queens come together in queerness? Well, first, did you have any dislikes about Death Drop Gorgeous? I don't have any dislikes. I have a guilty pleasure for micro-budget indie horror, and I know that they they play on some stereotypes, but that's also what camp does. It plays on some stereotypes and it's poking fun at them. So it's like a movie like that, you're not supposed to go into it taking it seriously. You're supposed to be going in and having a good time. And I enjoy it. So and there's nothing I dislike about this film. Yourself? It's too long. I feel like it drags <laughs> in the middle of it. Like this story could have been told in a cool 80 minutes. It didn't need to be like an hour and 45 minutes long. That's my only gripe is that I wish it was just tighter in the editing. <laughs> Classic Kelly moment. Yeah. It needs yeah. it's a yeah. bit too long. Just, I'm very particular. I don't want things to drag. I want to be But you get the lighting. You get the scenes. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I love like the third, I love the third half of this film. Oh, oh like, absolutely. Me too. Me too. But I feel like the middle could have just been, just, just tighten that up a little bit, folks. Otherwise, this is an absolute delightful indie film. And I too, as we all know, love indie films. Just like my neurologist says, you can always find beauty in tragedy. (sighs) After all the years I put in here, this is what I'm rewarded with. (laughs) So the salami sucking piece of shit, meatball fucking filled with shit, fucking fuck. Tuesday. Tuesday with Gloria Hall! Whatever happened? 
big numbers. Glitz, the glamour. Was placed. So yes, let's get into, we're here today to celebrate drag queens, horror, and drag queen horror. Because, man, horror has been a part of drag since a long time ago. Since drag was a thing, like not that far, you know, going into the the history of it, horror kind of has always been there in certain ways. We already know that horror, the subgenre itself, it uses the allegory of monsters and mayhem to discuss things that people would rather not talk about. And drag does the same thing in more fantastical ways. And we see this woven together with the, one of the first most notable drag performers, which was Charles Pierce, who impersonated the classic cinema icon Betty Davis from the wildly popular cult film Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It was a landmark horror film, but Betty Davis herself, when you watch that film, she's also doing drag herself with the exaggerated makeup and the costuming and, and the character and how she brings Baby Jane to life. It is larger than life. And that's what drag is. It is larger than life and is an embodiment and a celebration of others. And people can curate a persona however they want. Guess what? You can also do that in the horror genre with special effects, costuming, makeup. Speaking of costuming, makeup, and being larger than life, our queer, definitely now officially queer icon, horror goddess, queen of Halloween, Elvira. Hello. Elvira was a persona created by Cassandra Peterson based on her own experiences in drag bars. Elvira is the face of Halloween. Drag queens love Elvira. Cassandra Peterson's like, yeah, I'm in drag. We're like, you are. She is an AFAB queen, right? Absolutely. And she came out last year and we all died in like a happy way. (laughs) Yeah, we all died and we resurrected. We're all now like, you know, vampires and zombies who are like, yeah, Elvira, our queen, always. (laughs) But yeah. She created a campy drag queen personality, a persona. And the idea of a persona is not new to horror. A lot of our greatest horror icons are a fucking persona. And it's it's another form of drag. And if you go into drag history in itself, we talked about earlier about the Coquettes. And they were a psychedelic San Francisco theater group. And it was founded by uh, drag icon Hibiscus in 1969. And it was a huge fixture in the Bay Area. And it was very counterculture. It was a diverse group of hippies, drag performers, gender non-conforming artists, and they used the stage to push back against society. And they frequently used horror and fantastical imagery when they hosted their Halloween parties to do macabre and experimental things on stage. And it's just like, it was using art to rally against the establishment. What does horror do? Rally against the establishment. What do drag queens do? Rally against the establishment. <laughs> it is not shying away from all things spooky and otherworldly because it held power for us. Yes, drag is a fantasy. It's an illusion. It's a gender illusion, right? You can use drag to heighten your persona, make it a satire, critique the world at large, bring in the camp, bring in the comedy combination. It's varied, it's diverse, just like horror. Dragon horror, you can see backlash from people stating that they don't have a place together, that horror, well, we've talked about so many times about the backlash that horror movies and horror fans get. Well, when you blend those things together, absolutely, even drag, just general, regular, quote, regular basic drag, can see a backlash, right? Both of them have this goal that's very similar, right? You're taking this over the top, as horror is, very over the top, very excessive, very big. Drag queens talk about big, not even just their hair, but this element of their them being othered, the otherness to confront something, to elevate something, and essentially is making the audience not look away. Like you see a drag queen, you're watching that drag queen. Anything that they do, anything they say, because they stand out, right? Not just in a form of activism, but in their art and their performance of literally everything and anything they want to do when we talk about Dragula. And horror is the same way. And I'll go back to icon John Waters and Divine and they're very subversive and boundary pushing gross out movies and horror films that they they created and again 
giving a leading role multiple times to a homosexual man, to a drag queen, was unheard of in the 70s. And like, we're only starting to see a bit of this now today. I mean, we're here to talk about Death Drop Gorgeous because many of our leading characters are drag queens. And we're not, we don't, haven't seen so much of drag queens in horror, but it's been side by side for so long and talking about horror and drag queen somebody that i learned about this month is peaches christ so peaches rose to fame and prominence in the late 90s creating her own midnight mass movie series in san francisco which was a celebration of the cult and horror cinema that she loved almost like an elvira of sorts right again another drag queen horror loving drag queen we love right So giving these films kind of this, quote, Rocky Horror treatment, but she would create elaborate pre-shows and people would just come and have such a wonderful time with her as this like leader. And then her 2010 film that nobody has been able to see and have access to just dropped on Shutter here in Canada this month called All About Evil, created by a drag queen. Created by a drag queen has Natasha Leone in it, who's also a queer, massive queer icon within the community. Cassandra Peterson, yes. our queen, <laughs> is in this film. We have other appearances of other drag queens in this film. And it's it's so important because then you start to realize that a lot of these drag queens are all fans, are all horror fans. Whether they're performing on stage in a horror show um, or if they're in a movie or something like that, behind the scenes, they're also horror fans and they are, you know, big nerds about horror references and, you know, paying tribute to all their favorite uh, subgenres in horror. And we'll see this throughout Death Drop Gorgeous. There's been moments that you watch the film and you're just like, oh, that's uh, that's reminiscent of a giallo. That's reminiscent of Halloween. Like even the creators are being like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like here's some kind of like playback. We're going back to our favorite horror movies because a lot of drag queens found comfort in the otherness that horror provided for them. It allowed them to celebrate what is subversive about them, but also be able to be a part of a community and have a good, have a fun time. And talking about like the creators of Death Drop Gorgeous have been lifelong horror fans, the Boulay brothers with Dragula, lifelong, unabashedly open about their horror fandom and their love of horror And really horror and drag influence each other. It's about taking something that's like garish and like out there and again, excessive and big and making it mean something to people. And it means more than that. And sometimes you can find beauty in the darkness, right? And that's what we see blending with Death Drop Gorgeous and Dragula and why we're here today. But horror is drag. And we read this really great article where we got this really great kind of horror history of drag through the Gaily Dreadful website. It was called Drag Me to Hell, an Incomplete History of the Intersection of Drag and Horror by Michael Variotti, who's also a writer and director of much, a lot of Dragula and different episodes and seasons of that. And yeah, this really great quote in the article that said, It's a celebration of other, the exaltation of the subversive, the use of heightened reality to expose our failings and celebrate our triumphs. Through the lens of the fantastic, sometimes we are the monster pushed away by society, and others we are the final girl just wanting to belong and shine through the darkest night. Yeah, I love that article, and especially like they say, like, horror is a genre of subversion and drag is just an art form of revolution. You bring them together and you can't help but notice the messages that are coming across it. And one of the things I love when we were researching about uh, Death Drop Gorgeous and reading throughout the interviews that were had with the filmmakers, Michael J. Aheron, Christopher Dalper, and Brandon Perez Sanchez, they talked how this film in itself came out of an idea about how sex apps are made and how they could be made for serial killers. <laughs> and often women talk about, you know, the dating apps and stuff like that, but how essentially it's like making a commentary on society and, and social media at large, you know, in a campy art form of film. And Death Row Gorgeous, I mean, again, shout out to all the creators that came to our screening, but they not only create, like, wrote and directed, they also, a bunch of them acted in this movie, so for Truly, this wonderful, like, 
the community coming together. There's like local drag yes, queens, yeah. locals. Everybody just wanted to be a part of this this movie. But there's a lot of different themes that we see in it, and it's really interesting. Like they, definitely themes of ageism. We have Janet Fitness, who's this new drag queen at the bar. She's almost seen as like the future of drag because she's young, hip, modern. Whereas Gloria Hole, love that name, is aging. She's kind of old news. She's kind of seen as this like traditional and old school like classy drag queen. That's what like you would think of when you would go see a drag show. They're singing old songs, referencing a lot of like old materials, whereas Janet is fresh. She's hip. And uh, yeah, so I feel like Gloria Hole represents us like the origins of drag, the old queens, the first lady. But then, and this is such a great twist that again, I think takes a bit too long to get there. Um, but she teams up with the drag queen Tragedy, talking about loving uh, spooky love queens. Tragedy. Oh my god, spooky like, queens! Barely follow complete destruction on Instagram. Yes, I love complete her. destruction. <laughs> like barely has a role. Like she's more of this presence, which I love so much because anytime the camera pans to her, I'm like, oh, there she is. There she is. <laughs> what is she gonna do? Probably nothing. But I just can't wait to watch her and see her because she does have such presence. But Gloria Hole teams off the tragedy who is a vampire. Woo! We love vampires. Who knew it was going to go into vampire territory? But goes one step further. Yeah, Gloria Hole <laughs> taking into herself the darkness and othering of being gay and a drag queen to become young, youthful, and relevant, beautiful. Again, there's that beauty in the darkness and blending the ideas of subversion and horror and drag together. Like, it just makes for such a great blending of ideas and concepts and themes. And it's just very refreshing. They use camp to do this as part of horror. And what is camp? Camp is nonsensical plots and they're usually over the top and they usually have one-dimensional characters and they're tacky performances with low budget, low production budgets, but they're, there's a heart to them. They're, and everyone ends up having a good time, but because camp is also subversion and is, once again, re-examining gender roles and drag queens with over-the-top personas and just laughing at these gender transitions and making people feel uncomfortable, but also having a fun time and just reminding us, have fun, enjoy yourself, live your life, and... I love that they end up using the horror element to do that in this film. And when they went into the um, Bathory-esque mm-hmm. type moment where Gloria Hole in that transformation of absorbing the darkness all around them has a bloodbath. And if that's not like up there in that, like the horror realm of like transformation and othering, what, I don't know what isn't. Absolutely. And she comes out more power, like more powerful because she's embracing that darkness within her, but also mesmerizing. And yeah, I just, I love that third act of the film. Me too. Me too. It's probably my favorite. Like I get, I get amped up again when, when the the third act starts because I don't know, the music kind of amps up a bit more. They play with lighting a bit more, man, the bisexual lighting near the end. Like I am here for it. We know I love a good set piece with really great lighting, um, but it's super fun. And talking about representation in a really great interview done by Rue Morgue Magazine with the creators of Death Drop Gorgeous, you know, they talked about representation, like showing LGBTQIA plus characters in horror films. It's improving. It's getting better. And representation is needed. But we need the diversity. And we've talked about this before. We need diversity in our gay friends, not just the sassy queens or, you know, just being a friend. Like, come on, we want, we, they can be villains. It's okay to be villains. They can be bullies. They can be a lot of different things. Cause again, it comes down to being human. So in this movie, we see a variety of different types of characters and gay men and our drag queens just showing the complexities of being a human being and in our, in our world. They're bullies. They're villains. They can be bad people. And sometimes they're good people. They're not always going to be your best friend. Like in the end, and I love that uh, Brandon uh, Perez Sanchez had brought this up. He says, it's just a sexual orientation. And then like, it kind of like feels like they're putting gay people in this or the LGBTQ community into this box of because of their sexual orientation. But hey, base foundation is human. So let's show them being human, 
human beings and the nuances and complexities of of that. And one of the other creators, Michael, had mentioned that they feel like there's almost a form of tokenism happening because they feel like a lot of representation is very empty. Yes, not a lot of these characters, like we're seeing them more, but perhaps we're not seeing them as being like three-dimensional, well-rounded, complex characters. And we need that. And hey, man, we see a lot of those in Death Drop Gorges. And I'm so happy for it. And that's what happens. Like you're a filmmaker, you're like, what am I not seeing? Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make that myself. I'm going to make a movie adding elements that I'm not seeing in other films into my own film. And then also making other types of commentary, such as parts of queer culture that are being essentially appropriated by straight cis white women. I really love the scene in the bar, and I've seen this happen, where queer spaces are not being respected or drag queens are not being respected because people are showing there, showing up there in a lot of like bridal showers and stuff like that, having a great time, and they want you to have a great time, but there's no respect towards the entertainers. And we see this in Pivotal Scene where we see Janet being stabbed and everyone just like, oh my God, this is so amazing, but not respecting like that individual just was hurt. Would you drop your entertainment for a moment and actually help one of these queens on the street if they're being harassed by someone like where does your compassion end and where does it begin it should always happen regardless of what space you're in and if you are going to be in someone else's space have some respect for those individuals because this is their safe space this is where they come to be free of the prejudice and free of the tokenism and free of the lack of representation and be represented and so that's what I love so much about this film is that, yeah, while it's so much fun and it's having, you know, we're having more representation and we're poking fun at stereotypes, like, we're also seeing some real truths and be like, hey, this is still, this is happening. We just want to understand. We want you to be part of this community, but please have respect while you're here. Very well said. Exactly. And another aspect of their interview, again, getting the wheels turning and thinking, and it's just so right, right? Looking at their perspective of being queer filmmakers, coming back to inclusion's not enough. Queer art is subversive. We said this a hundred times already in this episode, but it's subversive and dangerous in nature, and it's supposed to deconstruct this large, overarching system, right? So being included is not enough. We need to have more than that. The genre can be expanded. Stories can be expanded. There's just like, there should be more diversity again. And they had said in this, it was Christopher, he said, I think the end goal of mainstreaming having LGBTQ folks in horror is short-sighted. And then I got to thinking like, which is why mixing horror and drags makes so much damn sense. Keep it subversive, keep it artful, keep it interesting and have fun with it again. I mean, sometimes it's just stuck in having such serious horror movies and having serious queer characters, but let's have fun again. I love Bit so much and we covered that last Pride, but you can have fun with that movie and you can have fun with Death Drop Gorgeous while at the same time educating yourself. That's very well said. Thank you so much. And so, like I said, in our charity screening last night with all these creators who showed up, we learned so much about the behind the scenes about this film and one of the things that we learned about is that there is a connection to Dragula which is that Victoria... <laughs> I know. Jesus. Victoria... Black from season two was one of the top three of season two was part of the special effects and helped on a couple of scenes and doing special effects throughout the film and I was like I love this so there's like this connection here and there's also a connection to the Scream Queen documentary because the creators of that documentary helped them with the editing and the music there so it's like this once again this community of people who've always been othered coming together and helping each other out and once again it's happening in the horror community like it's it's just wonderful. And now we've arrived at Spencer's final thoughts, this time over a nice warm cup of tea provided by our sponsor, Brutalities. Since we're spinsters, we obviously love tea. One of our favorite things is to curl up with a movie on a cold, rainy day. Or with a good book. Absolutely. With a mug of delicious hot tea. Brutalities is a company that we discovered at a horror convention and fell in love with. They have a variety of tea blends from black, white, and more, but what stood out to us was not just how yummy they were, but their spooky and metal-inspired names. With Screamsicle and Children of the Candy Corn, we thought Brutalities were a perfect match made in... I am obsessed with tiramisu. And I'm currently obsessed with Banana Bell. So go to Brutalities.com to grab some for yourself with listener code SPINSTER15 to get 15% off your purchase. For our Canadian fans, please contact them directly before ordering for shipping quotes. So now that we have our tea, let's put these spirits to rest. 
I couldn't help but grab this quote from a Dragular interview with the Boulet brothers. Personally, I don't want to see a basic bitch lip sync ever in my life. You have to give us something. You have to perform. And just mouthing words and moving around, I hate to break it to you, but anybody can do that. And it's just not very interesting. Scathing review of RuPaul's Drag Race. But... Dragula, Death Drop Gorgeous, Drag Queen Horror. It's breaking ground and changing the rules. It's changing how we view the art of drag and reminding us of its darker history, its darker roots. It's making horror and drag dangerous again. It's interesting. And for us horror fans, it's something for us to sink our teeth into. And it's very exciting, very refreshing. And I'm loving it. We're currently in a social and political moment where we're realizing more and more that the concept of gender is on a spectrum. It's being questioned and explored. While that's scary to a lot of Christian fundamentalists who want to control our bodies and our identities, it can also be very empowering. Discovering who you are and living your most truthful existence is the most liberating thing one could possibly experience. And that's why I love drag. It exposes the limitations of living in a, frankly, boring binary system, which also, side note, centers itself on patriarchal monogamy and being heterosexual and celebrates all, or at least I think it should. So if your male or non-binary partner expresses an interest in makeup, support them. If they love the color pink, be happy for them. If your partner wishes, wishes to express themselves in any fucking way that they want, hug them. Be there for them because the world most definitely is not. I must end on the immortal words of Gloria Hole. My tuck is everlasting. Happy Pride, everyone. This has been a really great month. I've learned so much. And a couple of things that I've learned is that drag is a queer art form and has been emblematic of queer activism since the beginning. Drag is an art form that revels in the otherness and has always had a connection to horror. Drag is political and a social statement that is subversive and counterculture. And drag is also experimenting with gender and being free of social confines. And it also exposes the ridiculousness of how our world constructs and defines what is to be a man and what is to be a woman. Drag radically challenges that. So when I find myself doubting myself and I feel angry at the world, I have often found myself looking towards drag queens for inspiration. These individuals live loud and proud of who they are and their drag is activism that is fighting actively against the patriarchy because it continues to, that continues to try and suppress us and, and anyone who is not cis, white, and hetero. Drag queens help to pave the way for many of the rights that women in the queer community have and they will continue to have if we continue to fight in this next stage. I love watching Dragula because just like the queens that grace the Boulet's brother stage, I also find strength that is all that is dark and weird and othered by society. And there is also family in that, and I am not alone. We don't want to fit in, we want to be accepted, and we want to be celebrated. And that is what I love about Dragula, is that everyone is celebrated no matter what their drag is. Horror and drag will always go hand in hand because we are a part of a community that needs to support each other now more than ever. So happy Pride, everyone, and celebrate your heart out for whatever victories that we've had and the ongoing battle that we're going to have. Support your community because we all are going to need each other over these next long days ahead of us. And as always, slay queens and hex the motherfucking patriarchy. And that ends our exploration into the dark side of drag and celebrating the subversiveness of drag queen horror. We want to thank Dance of the Dead for our intro intro music, Robies, and all of you listeners. We want to remind you to follow us on our website, spinstersofhorror.com, on all of the social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, just search for Spinsters of Horror. We also have a Facebook group. Come and hang out with us. It's called the Spinsters of Horror Coven. We also have a letterboxed account called Horror Spinsters, and you can also find us on YouTube at Spinsters of Horror, where we have a bunch of videos of presentations that we have done throughout the years. As well, please rate and review us on iTunes on any major podcasting app that you are listening to us, as well as subscribe. We also have merch. Please visit T-Tubic to purchase one of our t-shirts and donate. And next month, we are celebrating four years of the Spinsters of Horror and I Spit on Your Podcast. Woo! It is our anniversary month. Oh my yes. God, we survived <laughs> so far. We survived, yeah. <laughs> and you know what, guys? We're doing something different. We're going to have some fun. We're going to be highlighting a guilty pleasure of ours, and now one of mine, and it's going to be micro-budget horror. And we're going to have some special guests for us to come and help us discuss uh, micro-budget horror, which will be Bree and Kelly from the Murmurs from the Morgue podcast. So until then, remember, the future of fear is female. <laughs> <laughs>